up, my friends? Welcome to the We're Not Wizards podcast. And today, we're talking to me. <laughs> Gabe, Gabe, this isn't your show. This isn't yeah. this isn't your board game design lab thingy. Get off, get away. I'm going <laughs> to just stop. Hello, everybody. Welcome to We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host uh, while we're getting kind of like going through an extreme hostile takeover by somebody that obviously <laughs> does lots of interview podcasts as well. And it's like we're obviously going to be fighting, kind of asking each other questions as we go through this, because I'm joined. That's right. It's be more like a, a dueling <laughs> podcast. Than a dueling of banjos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I grew up in Alabama, man, so I know all about that. <laughs> You've probably got a banjo ready to go. He's got one, he's got one in the chamber, just ready to pop that banjo out. That's right. Just, just ready to go. <laughs> What's that? You asked for banjos, son? I got your banjos right here. Um... <laughs> Oh, get her done, all right. <laughs> we can talk about this all evening. That's fine with me. Um, so joining me is... We'll be finer than a frog hair split four ways, tell you what. <laughs> you got to get good eating that crocodile over there. You bring that gator right in and let's cook us up a storm. Okay, now we're getting down to Louisiana. All right, we're getting down to Cajun country eating crocodiles. There you go. Joining me today from Barrett Publishing and also the Board Game Design Lab is uh, Gabe Barrett. And as you can tell, we've been um, we've obviously been drinking since about half past one this afternoon, <laughs> which, is pretty, <laughs> which is pretty impressive considering... Uh, He's very, very far away, so the time zones mean we've been drinking for a bit past 27 and a half hours, which is always very, very good. Yeah, give or take. Um, so <laughs> We're actually doing really well, if that's the case. <laughs> I'm actually just leaning against the wall, um, which is good, which is why you're glad that the camera's not on again. Um, <laughs> the, reason, the reason that we do this is, um, so, well, first of all, hello to everybody out there. You know, thanks for joining us. The reason that we do this is because we are through episode 200. I I will not be stopped. I cannot be stopped. And uh, it's enough about me. It's all about you good people that are listening to us out there. And so in order to keep you happy, in order to keep you safe, in order to keep you warm, we have decided to bring you the best possible content we can, which means inviting people like Gabe onto the show. Because Gabe's not just here to sit back and chin wag and talk about the weather and politics and stuff like that because we're not going to do that anywhere. Um, he is pointing the finger, but he's not pointing the finger at people. He's pointing the finger down onto the table and he's using that finger and he's going to be a flicking and he's going to be flicking some dice. And when he's going to be flicking some dice, he's going to be taking over systems and planets and he's going to be fighting battles because he's here today to talk about the game He's bringing to Kickstarter called the final flick tier. But as always, we don't want to just have him coming on like a movie star on a chat show and talk about his book or his film. He's going to be giving a little bit back to us and he's going to be telling us a little bit all about him good self. So first of all, thank you for coming on, sir. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. Really appreciate That's you having good. me on. No, no. I have um, as I say, it was a it was a kind of a chance conversation. That we had. I think we kind of drifted past each other very, very quickly on kind of like the the Facebook when you were talking, you were talking about, um, I think, kind of like previews and stuff like that for the final flick tier. And I just kind of went, hey, want to do a podcast? (laughs) And you went, I already do podcasts. Get out of here, young boy, or I'll set the dogs on you. But um, so there you go. I'm not sure that's entirely how it went down. Uh, I was actually excited. I, I'm, I, was, I prefer podcasts. I would prefer to go on podcasts because this is kind of my element. Even though I'm, I'm used to being the one asking the questions, this is kind of fun for me to just be able to show up and, and answer some. I know. But uh, no, I was, I was really excited to uh, 
be able to sit down That's and talk cool. to you. Well, obviously, I'm, I do. You're talking about not having to bother doing prep, as you can probably tell. I haven't bothered to do any prep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to tell people. You know, you can at least let, let the illusion stand <laughs> that you come in with like you know 47 questions, and maybe we'll get through 10 of them. Or, you know. It's a tree. I've got an intricate <laughs> conversation tree where based on the conversation goes. <laughs> So, you know, usually when I, as soon as I stop recording a show, I'm on preparing the questions for the next show and no two set of questions are the same. That's just absolute nonsense. Um, obviously, you've been involved in <clears throat> this fine hobby for some time, but how did you, I mean, people, we want to find out how you got into the kind of, I guess, the kind of the, the speckled dice of the past before you grabbed them in your hands of the present and you're rolling them into the spaceship attack of the future so how did you get into the hobby <laughs> yeah definitely so it was kind of a long winding road uh, like a lot of other people i played games as a kid but you know just monopoly and normal mm -hmm. stuff uh, i like chess played a lot of chess in high school and then once i got into college it got a little more real I started playing D D and really had a great time playing fourth edition i know a lot of people hate fourth edition for various reasons yeah. but that was what i got into and i really enjoyed it i uh, loved it a lot and had a lot of fun and uh, then started playing games like Catan, and then got into Magic. Uh, and Magic, you know, I was in there for a while and, and spent way too much money on way too many cards and building all these decks and having a lot of fun and just hanging out with friends. And uh, then started finding more and more hobby games. And uh, then just started designing my own. Just figured, hey, I could I could maybe do this myself. Um, I'm the kind of person that I like to create more than consume. And so whether it's writing or, or anything, you know, other kind of artistic or creative thing, I, I enjoy doing it more than I enjoy consuming it and so started making a lot of really bad board games that were just awful uh thinking back to it now it's like wow that was so bad and uh just kind of did it off and on and you know just enjoyed it, it wasn't really anything i wanted to pursue yeah. it was just something i had fun with so dialing okay then, dialing it back then yeah <clears throat> let's go back to your D D. okay okay what's wrong with fourth edition i mean why do you feel you're a champion of it and why do you think everybody else kind of hates it at the time well, if you go online and you see like any of the forums or any of the like YouTube videos about D&D, &D, mm. there's a lot of people who just really didn't like 4th edition. And it's partially because they tried to make 4th edition more uh, more video game-like, try to appeal to that World of Warcraft crowd a little bit more. That's what I've been told. That's what people have said. I'm not, I, don't, I haven't talked to the designer of the game or anything, but that just seems the way that it was put together. And so like, the way the rules were written and the way things worked, and just kind of the, they simplified a lot of different things from 3.5, um, you know, it had a lot of stuff going on. And then in 4th, they, they streamlined a lot of things and, and, in my opinion, made it a lot more easy to play. But that was not necessarily what people... <laughs> of D&D &D wanted and so uh, that's why fifth edition kind of went back to uh more it's a lot more similar to 3.5 than than fourth ever was and so I, but i enjoyed the, the more video game like style of it where you had you know all these different cards you could you could print out mm -hmm. and these are your, abil your abilities and just the way the game worked i really enjoyed it and partially that's because that was the first version i ever played you know and so that, that's part of it too i'm sure if i'd played three yeah. version three or 3.5 first i'd have been like oh fourth edition sucks <laughs> you know but i, I enjoyed i enjoyed it, it it's it's kind of like, you know, I've actually, this is crazy, but I've talked to people who didn't see the Star Wars movies in order. They actually started with episode one wow. as opposed to four, and they really enjoyed episode one and, and two and three. And they're like, ah, four and five and six, they were okay. And it's like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? That is not possible. You, you're out of your mind. We're not friends anymore. But I, th I feel like there's there's some kind of a thing about, like, whatever you start with, you, you kind of, that's kind of, you know, you enjoy it. Even if it's just nostalgia looking back, that, that's kind of where you began. It's your comfort thing. I think that you, um, you surround yourself yeah. by things that comfort you. And if something triggers, uh, something triggers back memories, especially if they're good memories, 
like music. Yeah. I can tie music with the video games I was playing at the time. So I can say, you know, I was mm-hmm. playing when I was playing the Mega Drive, I was mostly listening to Public Enemy. And sometimes if I listen to a particular Public Enemy track, then I get a memory of a Mega Drive game coming out of the blue. Usually I shoot them up. <laughs> I have no idea. It just comes from nowhere. <laughs> but I can see where that That's comes. Hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, no, I mean, that is just, you know, it's kind of, I have a very kind of audio, I don't know if there's a word for it, audiological or something, memory, mm-hmm. which I... If somebody says something to me, I'm pretty good at kind of remembering it, which is pretty cool. But then a lot of my memory is based on sounds as opposed to sometimes visual stuff, which is a bit weird. So, But no, I can see the point of when you're first stepping into something, if that's what you've known, then that's what you like. And you got to remember, there's a whole raft of these kids that were born in the early, you know, the kids that were born in the 2000s. And that new Star Wars, that, that new flashy computer graphic brilliant looking star wars that was the way it was and the same nowadays if you look at it there'll be a lot of kids that'll be growing up with the force of the awakens as their first star wars which is really even weirder because mm-hmm. you're kind of like getting into yeah. it kind of afterwards um but why <clears throat> i mean did you gm when you were dnd no. no you just no i was a a dragonborn warlord oh. and uh and I'm trying to remember what my name was, but anyway, it was yeah, it was just a really cool character. I had another friend that he he DM'd for us, yeah. and there were three players, and then and then the dungeon master. So four of us would get uh-huh. together once or twice a week for anywhere between four and ten hours. It seems like is you know just the way that game drags out sometimes. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. And you moved in. You mentioned you went into Catan. I mean, I don't know. Is there anybody that doesn't own Catan? I mean, is the guy that sells Catan does he even bother selling Catan? Is it like the guy that sells Coke? Does he just go about saying, do you want some Catan in the board game shop? Because of course I want some Catan. Are you actually joking? <laughs> You're being absolutely mad. I don't have a copy of Catan. Um, well, I don't either. I, wow. Honestly. I have uh, several friends that yeah. do, though. And so I guess if I ever wanted to play it, I could just... Yeah, I don't. I, that's the same reason. I don't I don't have it because if I wanted to get my hands on it, I just have to, I can, I just have to make a call, <laughs> basically. Right. I just have to make a call. During that time, though, I mean... <clears throat> The formative kind of board game years, you mentioned you being a creator. Were you mm-hmm. dabbling in the kind of the white pieces of paper and the dice and the pens? Did you, you know, you mentioned, was that, was it when you were getting into the board games that you just, you were spending some time kind of creating some, as you said, bad games yourself? Or was that after a while you were in, in the kind of the hobby? Yeah, that was probably not too long after, maybe just a couple of years uh, of playing Magic and, and D&D and stuff. I started just, yeah, like you said, cards mm-hmm. and, and just writing down little ideas and creating cards and creating boards off, you know, off poster board and uh, just trying to figure out zombie games. I don't know why I really <laughs> wanted to make a zombie game. So I made like four really bad zombie yeah. games in succession. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot without realizing it. You know, it's one of those things, mm-hmm. like I wasn't aware of the big hobby industry in general. I just knew of a handful of games. I didn't know anything about Board Game Geek or, you know, any of the stuff going on online. I just knew a handful of games. And so I just started kind of making my own versions of them or trying to make different versions. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very interesting. I kind of look back and see how it progressed in spite of like very little knowledge of what was actually going on. Like I didn't, I didn't have any podcasts I was listening mm-hmm. to. I didn't have anybody I was following. It was just kind of, oh, I think this would be cool. Let's, let's try it out. Yeah. It's the accessibility of the hobby though. I, mean, I, I kind of often use this and I, I use this analogy far too much, but for some people getting into the hobby, is like that opening the door scene in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where Gene Wilder opens the mm-hmm. door onto the garden and all of a sudden there's like masses, you know. I know people that ha- have 
played very few board games and have no idea of the massive amount of board games that are kind of out there. And then you do get some people that they stumble into the hobby and they say, I know, we need a game which is all about zombies on boards and it's some kind of, uh, I don't know, we could have a side at the end of it. We could call it zombie side, how about that? And then you say, well, we could, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because unless you're involved in the hobby yep. for some time, it can be, it's kind of weird to, you can jump in there and go, well, I don't think anybody's kind of done this type of game before. And you say, well, except these 15 previous ones. But again, that comes <laughs> right. down to the, down to the kind of the accessibility. Was, I mean, was the content, was the content creation, I mean, is that been something you've been doing for a while? I mean, did that start to go kind of hand in hand with the, the kind of the game creation kind of side? I mean, what kind of, what kind of got you into, into that side of things? Yeah. So the podcast and everything came a good bit later. So the, we started making games probably like 09, mm-hmm. 2010, somewhere around in there, around like right about the time I was getting done with college. Mm-hmm. And then I I didn't really think much about board games after I graduated. I was working and I was you know trying to figure out life and, mm-hmm. and how to be a real person so to speak. And uh, I didn't didn't play many games. Mm-hmm. Um, all my friends I graduated. It's kind of funny. I started at the same. We all started at the same time, but I graduated uh, a good bit ahead of them. They were on the seven year plan. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're not they're not doctors. It's just one of those things. Uh, and so like I gra- I graduated before all my friends did. And so I went out into the real world. And so I kind of put my magic cards you know on the shelf and didn't really play much uh, for a while and then it wasn't until probably man four five years later yeah three four five probably five years later mm-hmm. so that i i found the game crafter and i f- started finding all these like really cool resources to actually make yeah. games and, and for them to look good and to be able to to print them out and you know see it see it as an actual product and that was a really that was a big moment the game crafter changed uh, my my life in a lot of ways as far as like what it led me to and that sounds kind of crazy oh the game crafter changed my life but you know what i mean uh, and it kind of <laughs> led me to really start thinking about designing games for real and to start getting into the hobby and then maybe a couple years after that i moved to honduras and all of a sudden my my opportunities to be in the hobby were a lot more limited uh, there's not too many game stores in honduras uh-huh. uh, it's, it's very difficult to get games here yeah. so it's not you know i started thinking gosh i want to be part of the industry in some way and so I started thinking all the ways you can do that. Well, you play testing. Okay, that's that's kind of hard uh, to do that from Honduras. And I didn't have very many people around me that even spoke English. And so let alone wanted to play mm-hmm. games. It's like, okay, well, play testing is hard to do for people. Uh, what about like reviews? Okay, well, it's very difficult and expensive to get games here. And uh, at the time I was living in a house and my, my literal address, my actual address on all my government papers and everything was the yellow house on the corner <laughs> near the horse field across from the soccer field. <laughs> in this town that I was living in. Like that was like, there's no street numbers, there's no street names. Like I lived on a dirt road. Yeah. And so like it was funny uh, if you ever had to, to have somebody like deliver something to you like you know if you bought a piece of furniture at a store and they were going to bring it out to you on a truck, they would hand you a a blank sheet of paper and they would say draw us a map <laughs> to get to your house. It's like, "Oh, okay." And so what happens know, if the color to, of the house changed? <laughs> Well, that would be impressive. Uh, if, I, if I bought a piece of furniture on Monday and I painted my house on Tuesday, it'd probably be poor timing. Exactly, it could look <laughs> that. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about getting my next Kickstarter pledge. But you know, first of all, I really should give my my house needs a, a nice new coat, coat of paint. And it's like, where's my package going? Sure. It's like, well, it looked orange to me. Right. <laughs> it looked, it looked orange. Orange yeah. house. I, I don't even know how you kind of fill in kind of postcode stuff. Because usually Kickstarter, when you fill in an address thing, goes, we found 
this one instead. Right. Is this what you mean? And right. you're just like, no, that's the greenhouse. And it's ne- right. and that's next to the cow field. And there's no, that's you right. know, that's near the... A Torrey's house. That's not my house. <laughs> exactly. And I tell you what, they're getting yeah. mighty peeved about getting all these Kickstarters through. But then on the other hand... <laughs> he is coming around the game club kind of every Tuesday to play games with me, so there's hope for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was struggling. I was like, well, how can I be part of the industry? And I thought, well, what if I did a podcast? Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I don't, like, what, what do I want to do? And I started thinking about all the podcasts that I was listening to and what I enjoyed about them, you know, what I wished was better. And I was really wishing that there was a design focused podcast that got very specific on key topics. Right, they would interview one guest, and they would you know, and talk about one one issue, one idea, one you know, big picture thing, one concept, and, and nothing else. You know, not, we weren't going to talk about the games mm-hmm. I've been playing, or hey, what's politics? You know, things going on in the media. No, we're just going to talk about this one thing, and we're going to talk about it for forty five minutes, and then we'll I do other episodes for other ideas and topics. And so I launched that. Uh, I reached out to a lot of people in the industry, and they. They came on the show. It was kind of crazy. I had all these people say yes, um, unexpectedly so. And so I launched it, man, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, at the end of 2016, I guess. That's, yeah, I'm right at 100 episodes at this point. And so it's just been a, a crazy ride. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, um, I mean, I, I, I had an idea to do the same thing, to keep on one topic, but I just can't stay on one topic. Do you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> I just no, understand. It's hard. <laughs> you know if people are going like yeah so let's talk about different ways to move and it's like no no let's talk about the last pair of shoes we bought because that's fun as well uh, you know and that's that's the way you know what I mean what's your favorite jam yeah uh, and you know and so on and so forth and um so I can I can do that but then on the other side of it um I must admit when I was a when I and I still are constantly surprised at this when you send an email to a designer developer kind of anyone involved in the hobby and they just come back and go yeah we can you know i i'm not going to say no am i i'm not going to be the person that said no um are you yeah. are you still i mean are you, i st- i'm still surprised but i don't know how you feel if you still kind of get that kind of i'm going to go fishing and see what i can find and then some mm-hmm. people that say kind of yes and you're just like wow that's gonna cool. yeah for sure it's it's really cool that you know reaching out to people who are, are perfect strangers, you know, who I've never met, you know, and saying, Hey, would you mind giving me an hour of your life and, and talking about this, this thing for other people to listen to us? It, it's still crazy content, right? Especially people who are very busy and are very popular yeah. and, you know, it's, it's just been nuts. And then Eric Lang, like I interviewed Eric Lang, uh, I guess this was a couple months ago. I was at Dice Tower Con and I'd been trying to get him on the show for a while. And, but he's hard to, he's hard to catch. He's super busy. And like, I feel like most messages don't even make it to him. His email, he's, his inbox is probably crazy full all the time. And so I ran into him at the, at the con- uh, convention. And I was like, Hey man, I'd love to get you on the show. And he said, well, well how about right now? <laughs> I was like, Oh, uh, that's not what I meant, but uh, let me go get my microphone. And yes, we're going to, we're going to record this episode right now. And so it was like a 24 mm. minute episode of me and him just finding this, like not super quiet, uh, not super secluded, just kind of place at the convention. And me asking him a handful of questions is kind of off the top of my head. And, you know, it, it, it was awesome. It was one of my favorite episodes. He's, he's and, on the but list. It's, it's crazy. I mean, Eric's, obviously, Eric's on the list to kind of get on. Yeah. Um, you know, Stephen Bonacore as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just these guys, the kind of, the, you would say, you could argue, you know, some of the kind of the, the, founding, the founding fathers. Um, but then it's yeah. like, cool. It's like, I was like, um, 
you know, I got um, Root, and I'm gonna one day I will stop talking about Root, everybody, but um, not until <laughs> not until you've 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 played it, because I'll stop talking when you've all played Root, and then we can stop talking <laughs> about it. But it's kind of like send sending a tweet to kind of like Leather Games, and going, oh, I really like Root, mm-hmm. and I said I'd love to speak to you, and they go, Yeah, sure. Um, just DM us and we'll get it sorted out. And I'm going, whoa! <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> what to say. And then I was like, it's like one of these things. Where you, have you ever done this where you've like went to write an email or a DM and you've went, don't write something stupid, don't write something stupid, don't write something stupid. <laughs> so what I did is I sent different animal emojis instead and then I felt better. <laughs> I said, well, as long as it I works, said like yeah. a rabbit one and a fox one and they couldn't find a mouse one. So then it's like, I'd really, I really like your game. <laughs> Trying to be the consummate professional. Would you like come on show? And it's like, oh, what? yeah. <laughs> I accidentally sent them a picture of my house, you know, because I'd been decorating. I was like, what am I doing? Stop. And they still says, okay, what to do is first of all, calm down and take a breath. And then secondly, email us here and we'll get that sorted out. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that's the kind of the coolness about the, the um, you know, the way the kind of the hobby kind of stands oh yeah um are you still got people on the list i mean is there still the folk that you were kind of like i'd love to just get five minutes of this person's time to um you know just sit down have a chat with them and and kind of chew the fat kind of thing yeah definitely um i'd love to have there's a handful that i've I've reached out to in the past and some have just not had the time they were you know working on like they're in the middle of a launch or something like that and so they just didn't have the time and some i just can't seem to get a hold of a few of those nikki valens who's done some of the best games ever made. She used to work for Fantasy Flight. Now she's kind of off doing her own thing. Uh, love to get her on the show. Love to have Ignacy Shevichek at some point just to kind of talk about – I mean, he is a wealth of information. You can talk about anything <laughs> with that guy. Uh, uh, Scott Alms is another one I've been, been trying to get on the show for a while. That I would just love to kind of hear his thoughts on, like, how to make how to make really epic tiny games, right? How to how <laughs> pack a lot of game into a small box. Like, how do you do that? Like, what does that process look like? And so, yeah, there's a, there's a pretty good list. I've got a, a, a Evernote document of a giant list. I, I, I started making way back when I started yeah. the podcast, and uh, it's, I just keep adding to it. And every time a new, you know, every time a person uh, comes on the show that was on that big master list, I get to check them off, you know, and it's a really cool feeling to kind of hit that check and go, okay. Yeah. All right, that one's that one's done. Now let's move on to the, these other fifty. Yeah, see if I can get them exactly. on the show. I'm the same. I've got keep on Google, and I just tick them off as I go. And then there's mm-hmm. some people that say, "Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll de- you definitely get you on." And then the kind of things drift and go past, and it's like, "Oh, I don't know if I could really contact them again because I kind of contacted them last time, and then it kind of went a bit quiet, and now I feel embarrassed." Mm-hmm. But it's all fine, but usually you just contact them. And say, "Yeah, yeah, you know these things happen." I think I spend most of my yeah. time. Introducing people by saying we've been talking for a long time and this has finally happened, <laughs> kind of thing. So like right. you, it's like <clears throat> with yourself though, it was kind of like uh, ten days ago. <laughs> it was just like, hi, yeah. how's it going? <laughs> it's kind of like, would you like to come on the yeah, show? It worked out. Um, that's kind of fine. Um, but obviously, the media, the media side of things has kept going, and you've been, as you see, you've been collecting, you've been uh, collecting guests like um, Ash collects. Pokemon. Um, <laughs> yeah, gotta catch them all, man. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> as, as, I've got uh, my my game design decks, I guess, of, of telling me all the new designers I need to talk to, and I just go find them out in the wild. Exactly. It's like sitting down Eric Lang having a picnic, and all of a sudden he gets knocked in the back of the head. He's like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> what are you trying to do?" 
Why you hey, you want to come on show? Why are you throwing your Pikachu cuddly toy at me? How old are you? <laughs> kind of thing. Leave me alone. Right. Um, <clears throat> would you, I mean, would you branch out into kind of other topics? I mean, would you bring on? I mean, would you consider going beyond the kind of the designer developers into kind of like the the arts, the creative side? Because I mean, we've, I mean, we've had guys from like uh, Crowdox on. I've had. Uh, you know, Panda Games have been on. Um, I've had Games Quest yeah. on. You know, um, <clears throat> is that stuff that you've looked at as well? Have you had people like that on the show, kind of too? They kind of yeah, service. Yeah, um, I had people like you're saying. Yeah, people from Panda, you know, yeah. and, and manufacturing side. I've had publishers on. I've had uh, artists on. Adrian Azale came on a while yeah. back, and it was like an hour and a half episode, wow. and it was phenomenal. Just talking about art and graphic design and how to work with an artist and the contracts and like just tons of information just about art. Mm. And so, yeah, I've tried to branch out and kind of cover the full gamut of, of game design. Because one thing I love about this this hobby is there it's so many things going on at the same time. There's so mm-hmm. many different facets. You know, it's not just one thing or two things. It's a hundred things. And so it's, it's just a lot to think about. It's, it's a really cool puzzle in my mind. Like when you're creating a game, it's this really fun mm-hmm. puzzle to kind of put all these different pieces together where you're talking about just the design and design theory and then the playtesting side of things and the art and the graphic design and, you know, publishing and pitching a game. Like there's so many things. And I've tried to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different uh, spots in the, in the industry mm-hmm. and get different uh, perspectives and different advice on, on all, all those different topics. Are you less, do you feel less under pressure to kind of chase the kind of the current hotness as well because you're kind of like approaching it from a topical kind of point yeah. of view? I mean, you know, is, is is that kind of like a decision to kind of, I guess, give you kind of, kind of breathing space? I mean, one of the reasons we do what we do is that I'm hoping that, you know, if somebody wants to listen to a John Gilmore episode, they can they can go back and do that. If they want to listen to Jamie Stegmaier talking about stuff or Ed O'Bara, if they can do that. And while we do eventually kind of talk about their game or their project, a lot of the time it's kind of like the stuff is kind of like pretty kind of timeless that people can then pick up and they can kind right. of go back into kind of like at any any time. And I guess it's the same with yourself, especially if you're kind of picking the kind of the the kind of the design the design topics, I guess. Um, but do you? I mean, are you? I mean, saying that, do you? Do you feel the need then to keep up with what's kind of happening in the hobby? Do you keep an eye on kind of like the Kickstarters and this Kickstarter trends and stuff like that just to see what's happening when you're kind of looking for, for guests and the like? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, you always want to stay on top of like new things coming on, you mm-hmm. know, going on in the industry of new ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, like when when deck building first happened, right? It would have been great to have, you know, obviously my podcast wasn't going on 10 years ago, <laughs> but like to have Donald X. Vaccarino come on and be like, hey, tell me about this new thing that didn't exist before <laughs> that now it does, right? Like that, that's that's amazing. Or finding people who have done really well on Kickstarter who we, we say come have, have come out of nowhere. I mean, we all know it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. You know, but getting those kind of people on that apparently come out of nowhere that seemed to just show up all of a sudden and then just talking to them say how'd you do it like what did it look like what was your process what was your uh, strategy for marketing or whatever um but just yeah so a certain, to a certain extent uh, going with you know the hotness so to speak and trying to stay on top, top of the new things but at the same time 
you know, a lot of stuff timeless, you know, talking to somebody about their process of playtesting. I mean, that's, that's not going to be that much different today yeah. than it will be probably four or five years from now. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll be a little more digital four or five years from now, but the general process is not that different. And so that's one good advantage. I don't have to just chase the latest and greatest yeah. and, and try to uh, scoop anybody else or try to be on the cutting edge. Uh, I can kind of take my time, have a little more. Yeah. Fun. I mean, and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we got to make sure we do get like, obviously people kind of promoting the Kickstarter. And then we just bring somebody on and just say, well, let's have a chat. And then sometimes I'll bring people on that have been on the show before that were talking about their Kickstarter. And now we just bring them back just to have a general, a general kind of chat and conversation about kind of what's been, kind of what's been kind of going on. Um, yeah. In terms of kind of like the designs and stuff, have you heard of the, you know, the key, the key forge kind of series, which seems yeah, to be yeah, these kind of. Uh, Richard Garfield. Yeah. Game. Um, yeah. What do you think of it? I think it is a publishing and manufacturing feat of, of just amazingness. I don't know how in the world they're doing mm-hmm. it. And if anybody not familiar, it's basically every deck of cards is different from every single other deck of cards that you buy. Yeah. Like, um, But I don't know. It's crazy. And they've got another version where it's like the adventure game. Did you see that yeah. too? So it's the exact same style yeah. where every, every you know pack you buy comes with a totally different adventure and it's got different stuff going on. I have no idea how they do it. Uh, but I am very amazed. And, of course, it was Richard Garfield to figure it out, of, of all the people in the world to, to figure it out. He'd be the one Absolutely. just because the way his brain works and, and kind of his, his – he is so ahead of everybody else as far as the way he thinks about games and just takes such a scientific approach to it but also just a loving and creative approach as well. And it's just – it's amazing. I can't wait to check it out. I'm interested to see I, – I, I'm obviously I'm – I'm an older, cynical, um, bitter, and twisted man, so I'm, I'm – <laughs> The cynical side of me is kind of like I'm hoping it's kind of like they're kind of I guess from a, a cosmetic point of view they're all different, but therefore when it comes down to it, you're all going to end up kind of playing the same kind of core game as you go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just really and really really interested to see how one deck plays against another when they're completely different, and how you're almost like saying to people, you have to learn what you're doing you can't sit and really learn from other people which is an interesting way to approach a game because if you think about it mostly you the first tactics that you learn in any type of game are usually the is usually based off the person that's got the most experience on the game or the person that usually wins you kind of go back and you see well what tactics did they use to win and then with this it's like you're actually going to have to sit down and decide and find out and explore what in your deck is going to kind of work the best for you, which is really, really interesting. I'm wondering how many people they will embrace that. I'm wondering how many people might, it might, they might play three games and get absolutely wiped to the floor and then go, you know what, I'll put it on the shelf next to the rest of my magic cards that I've kind of got. But we'll just kind of, we'll just kind of see, you know. Um, do you think is that a dangerous place that we're heading though in board game design that we're kind of there will be a raft of maybe companies looking for gimmicks to sell a game alongside the gameplay yeah, well, kind of thing yeah I think that's been the case forever I mean ever, ever since you know board games were a thing mm-hmm. you, you've I mean think about Mousetrap yeah. Mousetrap was a giant gimmick that pretended to be a game you know and so that's been the case forever in the the mass market side of things and even the hobby side you know you 
there's so many games that are coming out every year. Mm. I mean, 625 games came out at Gen Con this year. So in one weekend, over 600 games came out, right? And so like you're going to have to do some something to stand out. You're going to have to already have a crowd you've built up over you know a certain amount of time that it just takes to build a foundational uh, crowd to back your games and buy your games. Mm. Or you're going to have to have something that just like blows people away. And the Keyforge thing, like the way this game works, is, or the way you know you acquire new cards and stuff like that, it's just it's really cool. It's, is it a gimmick? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it also makes it stand out from other games that are very similar, right? And so I think that's another thing with with the market getting so saturated with with themes and mechanisms that are very similar. You know, there's lots of zombie games, there's lots of worker placement games, that kind of thing. You have to figure out a way to set yourself apart. And a gimmick's a way, great way to do that. Now your game can't be just a gimmick, yeah. right? That might get people to the table, but they're not going to stay, so to speak. They, they might play your game, but they're not going to buy game or they might buy it and go ah whatever i'll trade it yeah you know and so you're, you're not going to be able to last you know it's not a long-term thing to have a bunch of gimmicky kind of stuff but it can at least get people in the door and then if you've got a really good game to back up the gimmick i think it's a really cool way to go yeah yeah i'm kind of um i guess legacy games kind of spring to mind because i think for a while everybody was going to be like everything is going to be legacy and then yeah, until people figured out how hard that is exactly. to do, <laughs> it's so difficult. And then, <laughs> I mean, there's still less than ten legacy games on the know, market right now. You and know? I feel sorry for because it's, C- it's so difficult. I feel sorry for Seafall because I was looking at it on Amazon. I was like, "There's like, oh, you may like Charterstone," and I was like, "Oh, Charterstone," and it's like sixty dollars. And then I was looking at what else? I was looking at Pandemic Legacy Season One, you know, sixty dollars. And then I was looking mm-hmm. at Pandemic Season Two, seventy-five dollars. And then they had Seafall sitting there with a car with a bit of cardboard in front of it that said we'll play for food <laughs> and i think it was some, yeah. it was something like 25 bucks and i felt so i almost you know i felt almost so sorry for it gabe i i, I kind of i maybe i put it in my basket for about 20 seconds and i went Do you know what how bad can this be how bad can this actually mm-hmm. be but i think um when your precedent is pandemic legacy that's a really really hard thing yeah. you know it's a really really hard thing to to kind of hit um yeah and seafall was actually just a victim of circumstance yeah. right so rob davio he did risk risk legacy and kind of opened up this whole idea of this as a possible genre mm-hmm. and then he started working on seafall and seafall i mean it's not like he had other legacy games to look at to say oh okay this is how you mm-hmm. do it and this mm-hmm. is how you play test it this is how you create I mean, he was inventing all this stuff as he went he was literally thomas edison finding nine thousand ways to not make a light bulb <laughs> you know and trying to figure out the one way to do it and then during that time he also started working on pandemic legacy and so pandemic legacy was developed much later than seafall it just came out first and so that was everybody's first real taste at what a legacy game could be and so it was built on the back of seafall but Seafall came out after it. And mm. so it was just this really just unfortunate victim of circumstance. And Seafall, I mean, Rob, when he talks about it, he talks about how, you know, it was a little bit too bloated and there were certain things about it that he really wishes he could have changed and looking back and different things he would have done, you know, things he would have, have done differently in the design process. But Seafall got us to Charterstone. Seafall got us to yeah. all these really cool legacy games that are coming out now, whether it's uh, Betrayal Legacy or Machi Koro Legacy. I like, what in the world? That, you know, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's a hard game. Come on, what are you doing? Well, how is it Legacy? <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm really in, interested to see how they're going to handle it. Yeah. Um, but so Seafall is what got us here, right? Seafall was the 9,000, 10,000 ways to not really do it the best. And then and then we've figured it out since then, a much better way to, to build that light bulb. I've reminded of somebody that is talking about Matt, they don't like Machikoro at all. And he says, you want to turn that into a legacy game? The easiest way is just to take that deck and just rip it all up anyway. And I was like, that's harsh. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right, that's one way to you do know, it. You know, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, do you, do you want point, to point to the bit on the Machikoro box where it hurt you kind of thing? Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, right, that's awkward. Thanks very much for that. Um, yep. But, I mean, so you're busy. I mean, obviously, you're busy. You're interviewing all these, you know, designers, developers. You're, you know, you're building up the brand. Board yeah. game design labs getting a you know getting a name for itself. People are tuning in and listening and things like that. Where I mean, what makes you decide right? Okay, um, I am actually gonna let's go and make something now. You know, where, where how did you how did you end up going kind of down that that kind of pathway then, Gabe? Yeah, so I you know I'd, I'd continue to dabble here and there and, and trying to make games and trying to you know enter into like game crafter contests and mm. you know have some fun in the hobby and um, but around around the same time I started doing the pro- the podcast in a serious way and going okay I'm gonna I'm gonna devote time to this this is gonna be a another job right I'm gonna schedule this mm. this is gonna be a real thing it's not gonna just be something I I do for a month and quit this is gonna be something real and around the same time I thought I'm gonna do the same thing with game design and I'm, I'm gonna design, design games that are finished and I'm proud of and I play test and blind play test like go through the whole process yeah. I'm gonna see if I can really do this and uh, so the first game I made was this what a really fun game in my opinion it's this college football game and uh, it's with a publisher right now just being reviewed and hopefully you know hopefully it gets signed hopefully it kind of yeah. moves on in that process I've been waiting to hear back uh, about that but um yeah that's where it kind of started i said all right i'm gonna make a game start to finish it, i'm gonna you know do the whole thing and i'm gonna put it out there and try to get it published and so since that one i've been working on several other ones and uh, got a couple games that are with pu- uh, publishers right now just under review and they're checking them out and you know giving feedback and that kind of thing and then i got this other game that's going to kickstarter here pretty soon as well and so that, that's kind of where it started the podcast and the like being serious about game creation yeah. kind of happened at around the same time is it then that um, because you've had the good relationship with the publishers, has that made it, has that given you the confidence to actually approach them? Because um, I'll be honest, I mean, the, the number of creators I speak to who say, right, I've done this, I've gone down the journey, I've then dabbled myself, and now I'm going to Kickstarter. But you seem to be approaching it from, well, I've gone down this journey, I've, you know, obviously I've played a lot of games, I've made the decision, but now I'm actively kind of pitching to publishers um so i mean has kind of being involved speaking to these you know speaking to the publishers you know speaking to designers has that given you the confidence to kind of try the different route because as i say i don't hear many people that say right i'm getting this ready and then i'm going to spend the next kind of two years kind of pitching it to different publishers to see if they'll if they'll kind of go go ahead and print it for me yeah, well, I mean, it definitely helps. It, it, like anything else, you build relationships mm-hmm. and you get more comfortable with those people and, you know, it's a lot easier to pick up the phone or, or send them an email because you know them. They know you mm-hmm. and you're, you're, neither one of you are, are crazy people, right? I'm not just somebody spamming your company and that kind of thing. And so that helps. And it also helps just get in the door with other people. And so the the company that my football game is with right now, I didn't know that person yeah. uh, until someone who came on my podcast uh, as he's a designer, uh, he introduced me, right? He, he said, you know, we got to talk one day. He said, Hey, what games are you working on? I told him, I said, Oh, you should, you should talk to this guy. And he kind of set me up with a, uh, a quick introduction. And then it went from there. And so it's not only just meeting people in the industry and getting comfortable. It's also meeting people through people yeah. in the industry and, and, you know, kind of building out that network. Yeah. I mean, um, Emma May, who was on the show, um, a couple of weeks ago, that was her kind of thing is that she, she's very good at networking and introducing kind of one person to another um, and kind of facilitating that and then just kind of like stepping away and just, you know, kind of letting whatever 
going to happen, even if she does think pogs are really, really good. Um, And she'll get that. And yes, I am bringing up pogs on somebody else's episode just for you, Emma. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) Um, But... But I mean, is that is that then exciting? I mean, is it? It must be exciting then. I mean, this must be kind of exciting times because you've gone from being the guy that's writing on the white paper to actually having kind of publishers kind of reviewing it, and actually somebody sitting potentially going to turn around and say, "I'll tell you what, Gabe. Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll sign this for you. We'll produce X number of copies, and uh, um, and uh, you just leave it with us." So are you going to be? This is interesting. Are you going to be then involved in the ongoing development process? Or are you looking at these guys, you know, you'll give them over the game and then they'll finish off the kind of the process itself? I mean, where where are you with, say, like the college football game, for instance? Is that a fully, fully fledged, fully up and running kind of game that people can dive in and play? Or are you expecting the publisher to bring in maybe some development help to potentially develop some things further on it. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the best things about working with a publisher is that you get fresh eyes on, on a game and you get people looking at it from a product standpoint, not just a game standpoint, you know, as far as like, how much is this going to cost? What do we need to cut? What do we need to change? What's the art going to look like? That kind of thing. So you get a lot of really great opinions mm-hmm. coming in and, you know, which makes sense. It's their money. They're putting up the risk and their money. And so of course they get a, a pretty good uh, opinion in the matter. Uh, but with the football game, it's done. Like I don't, I don't remember the last time I play tested it mm-hmm. and, and thought, man, I need to change something. Like it's gone through so many play tests and it's just been clicking on all cylinders uh, for a while, a good long while. Uh, I added some things uh, recently uh, just to make it a little more fun. Like I, I changed the start player marker. It used to be just this little little token, but I found a company that makes that mass produces foam fingers and they make some that are tiny that just go on one finger it's like a like a five inch tall Whoa. foam finger yeah and i was like that is my new start marker and so that's the new start player token right and so i've done a couple of things like that just to enhance the game and just make it a little more thematic <laughs> but um yeah it's 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 done for all intents and purposes and you know some of the other games i'm working on that i've, I've sent out to publishers those are you know 90 percent done mm. and i just you know it's, it's almost there it just needs a little bit of development or a little mm. more a uh, few more people to kind of look at it and help me out with but yeah, the football one is done, and then some of the other ones almost there. Okay, okay. Um, is that strange? Kind of like giving it to somebody else, then they might come back and say, "Actually, we're going to change this bit and this bit and this bit." And being able- no, I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love the collaboration of yeah. it. You know, this is a, a team a team game. You know, I'm I'm a football guy, uh-huh. and so my my mentality is team sport. Uh-huh. And um, you know, a lot of these games I've been working on, I've had a friend here in Honduras who has a really good mind for development and has helped me out a lot. Uh, he asks really good questions about games. He's like, well, have you thought about this? Or why don't you do it this way instead of that way? And he brings up really good questions. And so he and I have worked together to kind of me design and him develop uh, several of my games over oh, the last year okay. or so. And I, I just love that. It's it's so much better to have somebody to work with as opposed to just kind of guessing by yourself, you know, and sometimes and feeling like, man, I don't know. Is this, this right? It's nice to have somebody to kind of bounce ideas off of. So then we move on to um, the game that you are bringing to Kickstarter, um, yeah. the the final flick tier. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think inspiration for that. Sounds like I've not heard that final f- that kind of phrase used ever in any type of space program at all. Was there any type of inspiration? <laughs> Yeah, never heard the final frontier no, no. Uh, you know anyone <laughs> boldly going anywhere like that yeah the title actually is what came to me 
almost first. It was kind of funny. I was actually interviewing a person for my own show, and uh, he had this really cool dexterity game yeah. that he had been working on called Dino Dunk, where it's, it's dinosaurs playing basketball, and you're flicking your dinosaur around this, this neoprene mat, and you're trying to score. And I was like, this is really cool. And during that episode, we, were, we got to talking about other dexterity games and how they work and all that stuff. And during that episode, I remember writing down just a quick note, and I wrote down 4X dexterity game. Yeah, like a 4X space game, but with dexterity. Like that, that's got to be a thing. And and I went online, and there's just not, there's only been one, maybe two other games like this, and none of them are on the market at the time, yeah. you know, now. And so I was like, this needs to be a, a, a thing. And so I started working on it, and uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun to develop and kind of create. And it's gone through so many versions. It's become the, the dice-flicking game that it is now. Uh, but it's it's been a lot of fun. Is it the biggest game that you've made to date, then? Oh, no, this is much smaller. Uh, I've got a superhero game that has a lot of moving parts that I'm still working on and, and got some publishers that have talked to me about, you know, wanting to look at it and see a prototype. But it's got yeah. a ton of stuff going on. The space game is actually very stream, streamlined. It's a 60-minute game. Uh, it's mostly it's mostly dice and okay. a couple of neoprene mats and, and cards. And, you know, anytime you make a dexterity game, it needs to be simple, right? You can't have too many things going on with dexterity. You can't have a two-hour dexterity. I guess you could, <laughs> but you know, most people don't want to play a two-hour <laughs> dexterity like, my game. My arms, my hands. Right, right. Well, especially if you're not very good at it, you don't want to keep that process going. And uh, you know, also finding ways to mitigate the dexterity elements so you know people that maybe aren't quite as skilled with flicking things can, can still compete and still have a lot of fun. Uh, but no, this this game is, is definitely on the light to medium. I'd say it's, it's a medium-weight game, but kind of a little on the lighter medium side. Okay. Um, I mean, is it... Is it kind of? I mean, is that have you done other dexterity games before? Or is this kind of like your completely new venture for you? As yeah, a- so I've made several in the past that just weren't any good. <laughs> it just turned out to not be uh, all that fun. Uh, I've got one that was, it was. I don't know why my brain always goes back to football. Just kind of how it is. I tried to make a football version uh, of a dexterity game, and it was okay. Uh, meh. And I had a, a rocket league game that was a lot wow. of fun. I really enjoyed working on that one. Um, it was super simple. But uh, so if anybody's listening to this and you, you know the uh, people who hold the uh, intellectual property rights to Rocket League, let me know. I've got a game for you. <laughs> but um, no, this is this is I don't know the third, fourth, maybe fifth dexterity game I'd really worked on. Yeah. Uh, but this is the one that really clicked the most, and, and people have been having the most fun with. How'd you play it then? I mean, it sounds. I mean, I'm rubbish at dexterity. I mean, I own. I mean, I I own like a lot of the catacombs kind of games, mm-hmm. and I love playing them. I'm absolutely kind of atrocious. At them, you know, um, really serious. I'm really, just really, really bad. I'm kind of like one of these people that would, you know, that maybe um, owns a set of golf clubs in the hope that one day, just by owning a set of golf clubs long enough, that I'll actually be good enough at playing golf. Um, and it's right. the same with dexterity games. I'm kind of like, I love all these dexterity games. When it gets them down on the table, I mean, you know, limbs have been lost when I've been playing dexterity mm-hmm. games. I mean, it's been that... <laughs> It's been that kind of bad, but how do you? I mean, how how would you play it? I mean, um, it sounds quite simple, but how would you? I mean, how would you go yeah. about playing it? Yeah. So every every player, you have your own faction, and uh, each faction is a little bit different. Uh, gives you a little bit different tech tree options, some different special abilities, and things like that, just to make every player just a little bit asymmetrical, not not too much. And then you know, you've got a based on your faction, you have a certain number of dice, which are your spaceships. You know, and some some factions have D4s and D6s. Some have a, you know D8s and D12s. Like, it just kind of depends on which faction you get, what what size dice you get. 
and uh, you flick your ships around. The, the board is made up of two neoprene mats that go together and that create this kind of galaxy, and there's all these planets printed on, on the mats, and uh, you flick your, your ships around the, the mats and the board and trying to land on planets and, and trying to uh, build structures and, and take resources from those planets and use your dice to you know, flick into other dice and to attack them. And I can explain the combat in, in a minute as well as the way that works. And then there's like mission cards and special objectives that you get victory points in the end. And so you're, you're just kind of flicking your ships around and, and trying to take over uh, the galaxy, trying to uh, dominate other other players by having you know more resources, more more missions completed, more combat victories, and that kind of thing. And it takes about 60 minutes, and whoever has the most points at the end wins. Did you have to strip a lot back? I mean, when you first started it, did you put in a lot more stuff than there was knowing that you were doing like a, f- a 4X game? Yeah, so originally the game, it didn't have dice. It had, it's more similar to Catacombs, where it had tokens with like, a, I 3D printed some ships mm-hmm. to kind of sit on top of these plastic tokens. And so you'd flick the ship around. And the, the planets were these like big, thick wooden, um, well, big, thick pieces of wood. And then had like a sticker of a planet on top. And you would have to like flick your ship and, and yeah. touch the planet. And then you'd be on the planet. And, and that was okay. Um, but then whenever I went to, actually, originally I went to cards, where you'd have to flick dice around. I, I decided. Once I figured out the combat system, it's like, okay, dice works a lot better. And so using your dice, and you'd have to flick them on top of cards. And so you'd kind of set up the, the galaxy would be as big as you wanted it to be. And so like as big as your table was could be as big as the galaxy, yeah. which is a little bit problematic for people who aren't good at dexterity because the, the farther away <laughs> things are, the more yeah. difficult it is, right? Yeah. And so, you know, going to the neoprene mats was a huge, huge upgrade. Um, but yeah, working with the dice is a lot of fun because this is something I haven't seen. If it does exist, I, I haven't seen it um, with dexterity games where, all right, so if I've got my die and and you've got yours kind of over across the the galaxy so to speak i'm gonna i I can flick my die and and attack yours and the way that works is you announce that say okay i'm gonna attack this ship's gonna attack that ship and you take uh you have combat cards Mm -hmm. and so you know you place one face down and that's going to give you like an attack bonus and then i would flick my die and whatever number is whatever number of pips is up that's my current attack value so i have to hit your die first of all so if i miss i just go off and you know i'm lost in space yeah. i am i am the family robinson uh, disappeared <laughs> you know um, danger but if i hit you okay that's a successful attack and so let's say i've got a four showing and you have a six showing okay well, you're you're winning right now and then we'd flip those cards over and they would get the attack bonus and whoever wins the, after the card, so that's that's the ship that wins, and whoever wins stays. The other ship gets blown up and goes back to their home planet. Uh, and so, using that as a very quick, simple combat system has worked really well. But then I ran into the, the challenge of, well, what if people want to flick the crap out of things? This is what issue with catacombs, right? Some people just like flip the ever-loving mess out of those tokens, which is why they had to build that wall. You had to have that like cardstock yeah. wall that goes around the board yeah. now, so you didn't end up with all these tokens under your fridge and under your couch, and your cat's playing with them on the floor now. <laughs> exactly. And so I had to think through like. Design-wise, well, how do you fix that problem where you, mm. you discourage people from just flicking the mess out of stuff? And so created this mechanism where you, there's this hyperspace card, and it's just a normal poker-sized card. And it just you know, has hyperspace, has some cool graphics on it. And that goes behind whatever die you're trying to attack. It goes directly behind it. And now if I flick my die and it hits yours, and it hits it with so much force that your die goes beyond that card. So the card is really just a measurement yeah. tool. But if your die goes beyond that card then effectively I came in too hot. You saw me coming and you jumped to hyperspace and you retreated automatically. And the, the attack, the battle doesn't ever happen. And, and if, if the, if the die goes past that card, you now get to place your die anywhere you want to in the galaxy. Mm. So if you were hoping to go to this next planet, this other planet on the next turn, well, just pick it up, put it on that planet. Yeah. You jump to hyperspace to get to that planet, to get away from the combat. And so that really incentivizes like 
being measured and really kind of taking time and placing shots as opposed to just flicking the crap out of stuff and hoping for the best. And so it was really interesting to kind of create these systems and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And then as as you said, you kind of like you stripping them back a bit to kind of get back to kind of like what was the kind of the core of the game because I can see something like yeah. that otherwise turning into a four, as you said, a four hour game and and people having to go to oh, yeah. to the um, to the ER with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know broken tendons and stuff like that and you know nails yep. and just general general kind of general kind of nonsense um with the i mean did you have you had like a a, a kind of like a play test kind of strategy then i mean when you were when you were going to be taking it out and obviously kickstarter is when it's a publisher i guess you just have to say to the publisher well tell you what, if, if they like it, they enjoy it, they, they kind of get the gist of the game, then they're likely to sign it. Obviously, taking it to Kickstarter, you've got to persuade several hundred and potentially a couple of right. thousand people to look at it and do that. So do, have you, have you, I mean, what has your been approached to Kickstarter with? Because with, where you're based, you can't just like jump in the, the number 27 bus and, you know, take a trip up, <laughs> take a trip up north to, to take it about a lot of places. Has um have you ended up having to kind of um to to kind of strategize how you're going to kind of get the playtesting done and have you ended up kind of taking um taking the the final flick tier onto on almost like a tour to get kind of people to get kind of people's interest in it. Yeah, so knowing a couple of different things. One, the where I where I live now, I no longer live in the yellow house across from the horse field next to the soccer field. Uh, <laughs> I live uh, on campus at a, a high school. I teach English, mm. and there's a lot of other American teachers here that uh, love board games. Oh, and so I've got okay. a really good rotation of about six people who uh, come in and, and will help me play test games. And every Sunday night, uh, we've got this kind of standing. Uh, meetup basically where they come in my wife's a great cook and so she cooks us all dinner mm -hmm. they get free food and i get some free play testing and <laughs> it's been working out really well and uh, I, I knew the game was 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 going to be something special yeah whenever i had those teachers coming up to me later you know the next day the, the week after and talking about the game and say hey i can't wait to play again when can we schedule another play test uh you know and talking about different strategies and things they're going to do different next time to maybe uh, do a little bit better mm -hmm. I, I knew the game had some legs whenever whenever people come up to you and say that kind of stuff you know, because they don't have to, right? They could just go come for the free food. That that's fine. Uh, but when they were actively saying, "Hey, I want to play it again," uh, I knew the game was gonna was gonna be be something special. And then uh, with my podcast, I've built up such a, a really awesome community mm -hmm. that uh, a couple weeks ago I put out uh, a call and I said, "Hey, if anybody wants to play test this, uh, tell me, you know, tell me your email address. I will email you the the print and play files, yeah. and and we'll go from there." And so. You know, putting together the, the print and play and getting it out to those folks and just getting data, you know, which faction is winning. You know, is one faction a little bit more of a power than another? Yeah. Just getting that, like, yeah. balancing, tweaking uh, data here at the end. That, that's the stage it's in. You know, it's, it's about 90, 94% done. I'm still working on some expansions, some other factions I'd like to add to the game. You know, those still need to uh, have some more testing. But it's to the point now, it's like, okay, does this need to be a one or a two, you know, as far as the, the game balance goes? And I feel like that's a really uh, good place to be. And, and all those awesome playtesters through my community are helping me get the game uh, across the finish line. In terms of, um, say, the, I guess, the kind of the finish of the game, the graphics of the game. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm looking at it now. It looks stunning. But again, yeah. is is that the kind of an extra step that, you, step that you've had to take in order to get it prepared for Kickstarter, I can imagine that obviously with a, like the college game, if the idea was really really sound, 
then if you said, well, here's the idea for the art, they would say, brilliant, let's, you know, we can develop that further. With Mm -hmm. Kickstarter, you've got to go there almost nowadays with kind of like the fully kind of finished project. So did you have to do even kind of, did you have to develop, you know, did you have to develop the game further to get it to a point where you could say, actually, I can sit this in front of people, they'll be able to play it, and it holds up as looking like a fully completed finished product with all the art and everything like that as well. Oh yeah, that's just the the nature of of the industry now. Like you can't go to Kickstarter and not have a great looking game mm-hmm. that you know at least a giant percentage of the, the art's already done. Now in my case, one hundred percent of the art is done, uh, unless something crazy and I decide randomly to add another expansion faction or something like that. Uh, the art's done. The graphic design is almost done, mm-hmm. and so I'm going into the the Kickstarter launch ready to go, one hundred percent. Like it could almost go to the the manufacturer to be printed tomorrow, oh, right, kind okay. of thing. And um, no, that's, that's just kind of where we're at. Now, one thing that helps me is that the game didn't require that much art. I mean, it needed a bunch of planets and a bunch of alien races and, you know, the box art and stuff like that. But it, overall, you know, I didn't have 100 cards. I'm not doing a deck builder where I need all these extra uh, cards and all these ass- assets and things like that. And so that's one thing for a lot of people that, that they just don't think about. You know, whenever someone says, hey, I want to make a game and go to Kickstarter, I'll, I'll say, well, how, how many games have you Kickstarted? Well, zero. Okay, well. Okay, be careful that that first game is not something that needs $10,000 worth of art. Yeah. Because that's, that's going to be very difficult to do, right? And you're going to have to pay for a lot of that out of pocket on the front end. And you might not even fund, and so you might not see any of that money ever again. And so just being – and you might fund and still see no money, right? It's just kind of the nature of the business. You might you know, make 100 grand on Kickstarter and then lose money overall if you, if you don't do everything just right. And so – yeah, I'd say that's one thing people need to be a little more careful of is like designing games, especially your first or second game, to go to Kickstarter that, that don't need that much art because it's such a sunk cost at the beginning. And if you don't do it right, people aren't going to back your game anyway. They're going to say, ah, this doesn't, this doesn't look professional. It doesn't look like the other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And so it's something to really take into account. I mean, in your opinion, is, is Kickstarter a, diffi- a much more difficult thing for the guys that have the good ideas, but maybe not the the best execution in order to present their pitch. Because, I mean, that's what you're doing nowadays, is that you're not just coming up with an idea. You're almost like, it's like, um, what do you call it, your Dragon's Den or Wervin's Lair of this kind of world where you you can't just go in with an idea and a, and a, and a kind of a, a potential kind of success rate. You've almost got to go in and say, well, actually, this is ready to go, um, I'm kind of good to go. Do you think so? Like some? Do you think we're potentially missing out on some very, very good games where the guy just says, "Like this isn't my skill set. I can't, I can't do this, or I need to get the money in order to be able to get the art kind of thing." Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think we're definitely missing out on some great ideas, uh, just in the nature of the of the beast, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Marketing is so pivotal for this, and there's a lot of people who are creative who are not very good at marketing, mm-hmm. right? It's there's a lot of people who are super amazing designers who suck at social media, right? And just don't understand Facebook ads and they don't understand like how to build an email list and like what does that look like and have no idea. And they've got amazing ideas. And for those folks, Kickstarter is probably not the place to, to go uh, unless you want to hire somebody. Like if you've got some other friends that can kind of come alongside you and, and work as a team, yeah, to go do that. But if you're trying to do this by yourself and you don't have a grasp of building an audience, building a base, you know, building up that marketing machine, it's going to be very, very difficult to to be successful. But that's where you know pitching to publishers comes in. You know, that's what they have people that work for them that do marketing and do the graphics and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, and so we're we're probably missing some games, but maybe not that many. You know, not not as many as we used to. You know, back in the day where a publisher had to sink a bunch of money into something they weren't sure about. Yeah. Right. And they were a lot more reluctant to sign games. Where now you have Kickstarter and you can kind of see the the temperature in the market right 
right at the beginning, like before you put really that much money into it. And so I, I feel like we're in a much better place now to make sure as many games, as many great games get to the, the table as possible. But at the same time, the barrier to entry is so low, you end up with a lot of mediocre games as well. And so it's, it's this really weird spectrum we're in right now where some of the greatest games have ever that have ever been made are coming out, but also some of the worst games that have ever been made are coming out too. You know, and, and so it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough spot. It's, yeah, it's difficult because I've seen games that, um, I've actually, I have seen games that, you know, people have got in their hands once the Kickstarter kind of fuss has kind of died out and they're actually turning around and going, um, yeah, this, yeah, this is okay, but mm. it's maybe not as amazing as I thought it was going to be based on the right. fact that there was so many kind of people that kind of backed it and so many people that kind of played it. And on the backing side of things, I still, Kickstarter still remains a mystery to me. I've spoken to so many kind of Kickstarter creators now and I still can't put my hand on heart and look at a game and say, right, you're definitely going to fund or you're definitely not going to fund kind of thing. Because there's right. games out there at the moment that I know are really, really good and that I've played and they just don't seem to be getting the traction. And yet there's other games that it's the same thing and I'm just like going, Yeah, they should you know, they should do quite well and uh, they're just rocketing. Stratosphere you know, stratospheric kind of funding targets yeah. have been have kind of been have kind of been kind of reached. Um <clears throat> with targets in mind it doesn't look like um it doesn't look like your game's gonna be um it's gonna have massive kind of production costs in terms of how you're kind of putting it together. I mean, was that was that something you were conscious of being kind of exposed to kind of like designers, you know, the, the kind of the, the people that you have contact with? Did you take advice on kind of like the best way forward to consider for kind of what potential costs could be for the components within the game? Yeah, definitely. And like this is something, like if I was doing a miniatures game, I mm. would not do Kickstarter at all. Like I yeah. have no understanding whatsoever of like that process and the costs that go into it no clue and so like i've got a game my, my superhero game it's got miniatures and and you know the little superheroes flying around the board and stuff i would never kickstart that at this at this point in my understanding of the industry it oh. would just be a um, a disaster on the back end like it would fund and i would lose like 50 grand because i have no idea what you know what all goes into that and so yeah with this game it's dice it's neoprene mats and cards yeah. i mean it's in a box you know and so that's pretty straightforward uh, i've talked to a lot of people about uh, not so much the component side of things, but, you know, the fulfillment and shipping and just trying to make sure I don't accidentally charge people $10 when I should have charged them $12, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And just trying to save myself uh, from, from losing a bunch of money. Uh, this is one of the situations I'm, I'm perfectly fine with breaking even here. I just don't want to lose money. Uh, this is a, this is a learning process. I'm trying to understand this whole Kickstarter machine better mm-hmm. and, and do this right the first time, but then learn a lot and then be able to come back and do it again, uh, bigger and better next time. You know, so maybe down the road I do a bigger game. I do something with kind of some more, uh, custom pieces and stuff like that in it, but, uh, we'll see. And with, I mean, with you kind of knowing and, and obviously speaking to, manufacturers and your you kind of your i guess your post kickstarter kind of pledge manager people um yeah has that i mean has that allowed you to kind of have you been able to go back to these people and say okay this is where we are and this is what i'm thinking about so i mean are you thinking about things like a you know are you thinking about pledge managers and things like that after the, the campaign because you've talked to people about it have you got you know, have you have you have you thought about that thing? I mean, is that is that the kind of the state? You must be in that kind of stage of planning where you've mm-hmm. obviously decided your entire strategy for the campaign because it doesn't seem to just be nowadays when the when the last seconds, like the last sands, 
of time pour out the kind of like the Kickstarter glass, it still seems to keep going in some campaigns. They still have the pledge manager, which seems to run for kind of like you know months, if not ye- if not years afterwards, <laughs> where they're still kind of collecting money and collecting collecting pledges. Um, is that something that you're taking into consideration as well? I mean, are you looking? Are you, is that? Oh, I guess it's something you have to consider. Yeah, definitely. And I've got a friend uh, named Kirk that mm-hmm. created his own pledge manager uh, a while back to kind of for his own stuff, and then he started releasing it out to other people to use called Jetbacker. Mm-hmm. And I like it a lot. It's very simple. You know, there's some there's some out there. Backerkit, CrowdOx. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are amazing systems. I highly recommend those. Check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, it, if you're if it's your first campaign and you're only you only got one game and you're not having like all these like bundles and all these add-ons and stuff like that, then you might not need it. And that's where I'm at right now. I don't have all this extra stuff. It's just it's just one game, uh, and and so uh, Jetbacker is a much more streamlined, much more simple version. Uh, if you don't have all the bells and whistles, uh, you know, going into your game, you probably don't need that for your your pledge manager. And so I'm going to use Jetbacker just because it's it's so much easier. And then Kirk, he's a friend. He's been on the show a couple of times, yeah, and uh, he's yeah. helped me with some other stuff with the campaign and just kind of making sure he's he's run several campaigns himself. Uh-huh. And so he's helping me with some consulting, basically, and making sure uh, I don't accidentally uh, again like charge ten when I should charge twelve yeah. for shipping and things like that. And so and are you looking at kind of like in terms of things like stretch goals? Are you just going for mm-hmm. kind of cosmetic kind of improvements, as a, or are you actually going down the line of saying okay? you can buy extra expansions or if we reach this stretch goal then we unlock three other factions for the game kind of thing or you just try to keep it kind of as simple as you can yeah it's it's more simple than than complex for sure mm. uh, definitely looking at things more along the aesthetics you know thicker cards or mm-hmm. you know better uh, looking you know just kind of make the game look better a better production overall and then i've got two expansion factions that will be stretch goals more than likely i'm uh, still working through that right now but as of right now that's that's the plan mm-hmm. uh, and so having those as part of the stretch goals but you know those don't add very many components just a few dice and some cards to the game and so because a lot of things that that you do as stretch goals add a lot of extra weight and you add extra weight and you're adding extra shipping costs exactly. and it's just you got to be aware of that and that, that messes up a lot of people's planning is you know they had everything planned out and then they added too many stretch goals yeah. added metal coins or something like that and made the game weighs a pound well, more like than dinosaur island supposed to yeah no doubt <laughs> dinosaur. You know, so this... I still do the dinosaur island you ever did you did you get dinosaur island no a friend of mine did and uh it, it's amazing but i remember <laughs> like i remember when it came in the mail i was at their house when it came in and uh my friend she said feel how heavy this box is and i went to pick <laughs> so it up and it's like i had to like double take i was like oh goodness gracious this is so heavy yeah. but that box is full yeah. of stuff and uh but yeah it's just something to be aware of yeah i was at the games club and i um i was at the games club and i had dinosaur island with me and i was like um feel the weight of this box and of course everybody reached the natural thing is to reach out with one hand you know, like, you know you're, mm-hmm. you're right poor choice you need two <laughs> you need two hands and they're yeah, like no no it's, it's just give me the box give me the box it's like that it's <laughs> like you know, dis- dislocated arms going left, right, and centre, yeah. and stuff like that. That was a kind of a, a heavy pack box. Um, but yeah. that's a, that's like a common debate at the moment is um, the whole thing about charging shipping after the kind of the yeah. Kickstarter, as opposed to charging you know charging shipping in the Kickstarter. And yeah. um, it's that whole kind of um, it's like getting free free shipping on Amazon and eBay, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the reason that <laughs> the reason it's kind of being encouraged, and we have to, we always bring this up is like um, if people include shipping in the Kickstarter campaign, it means that Kickstarter takes a chunk of that shipping money yep, as well. 10%. Exactly. So if they're saying we need to reach ten thousand dollars, and that'll include the shipping, 
don't complain about it because that guy's technically taking ten percent of money that he's going to be using the ship. So he's going to have to right. take. You know, they are going to have to take that money out of their back pocket in order to potentially subsidise the shipping, which is why the- people ship. You you know do the shipping costs after the kind of the event. I don't know. People hate right. it, but it's. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those things that it's it's psychological more yeah. than anything. You know, when when you think a game like it says the rewarded and it costs thirty nine dollars. Oh, cool, thirty nine dollars. Yeah. And then you find out later that shipping is fifteen dollars. It's like, oh, okay, so it's not actually thirty nine dollars. <laughs> it's just psychological. Right. Yeah. And but I tell you what, yeah. there's been so many people who charge shipping during the campaign, and then you know because the game didn't ship for a year and shipping rates changed a year later, yeah. that everything was different. Or the stretch goals added to, you know, all these different stretch goals. And so the two-pound box became a three-pound box, and that put them in the next tier mm-hmm. of, of cost. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of people who've been really messed over by shipping. And so I, I fully understand. Yeah, uh, I mean, I totally understand as you know, well. Charging it after the fact. Especially now that I'm looking at my own. I was like, wow, I'm going to have, like you are just saying, I'm going to take 10%. Yeah. Kickstarter's going to take 10% right off the bat yeah. off of shipping and everything. It's like, well, wouldn't it make more sense to put it, in the pledge manager, but with my game, you know, I'm not adding all these extra stretch goals and things like that. So the weight shouldn't be changing more than just a handful of ounces. Yeah. Uh, if I add all that extra stuff in, and so, and then plus the game, it's 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 pretty much done, and so it's really almost ready to go to the manufacturer now, and so it shouldn't take that much uh, time to get it printed and shipped out, and so hopefully things won't change too much. So I, I'm leaning towards doing it in the campaign just because it is that psychological thing, and mm. people see it, and I can say free shipping even though it's just subsidized into the cost you know but kind of the way the way our brains work we love that free word yeah, i know. You know amazon has ruined us all and uh, so yeah. but that's, that's what i'm looking at yeah yeah i know a lot i have the i have this discussion on a daily basis with people i kind of discuss kind of amazon with and and the same but it's not free shipping it's like i know it's not free shipping but why am i saying it's free shipping because people like to see the word free that's why yep. they like to they're spending money you know they're spending something spending money that they shouldn't be spending so they like to see at least well at least they've got free shipping because that's you know that's a kind of a, that's a kind of a <laughs> right. little bit of a, a kind of a little bit of a bonus there um yeah. with the production in mind then of you setting when you're considering kind of like your delivery window your fulfillment window for mm-hmm. your backers um knowing what you know are you going are you kind of thinking well let's do a kind of a um, let's do a bigger window and then surprise everybody. You know, let's kind of uh, hmm. um, kind of undersell and kind of over deliver, kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Do not be optimistic whatsoever <laughs> with shipping. Never, never, ever. I've talked to so many people, and they all tell me the exact same thing. Whatever you think shipping is going to be, add two or three months, if <laughs> exactly. not six. Exactly. Just because that's the nature. And so, like right now, I'm thinking, you know, if my game comes out in. If it, if it optimistically could come out in March or April, then I'm going to tell people May or June, Yeah. right? Just just to make sure, uh, because it's funny how people going in knowing that this is the case, but then get super upset when when things get delayed for various reasons that typically aren't even in the the creator's control, right? <laughs> A strike happens at the port, and now you know nothing can come in, or you know things get caught up in customs, or there's a a, a tropical storm, or something like that <laughs> exactly. has nothing to do with what the creator you know exactly. hoped for. Or what they plan for, and things change. And so with shipping, yeah, I would definitely say whatever you think it is, add two or three months. Yeah, but then I'm, I kind of always have a chuckle with the ones that come out at the beginning of the year, and they talk about well, Chinese New Year has hit us, so the fact who's yeah. going to shut down for for, right. for this long? February, month. Like February like, is a lost month. And they're like going, oh, sorry about this, guys. But then that's because you know they time at the beginning they say okay. Well, it finishes. We finished up on uh, July, and then we're taking it to production. 
and then oh those uh, trays that we're going to get developed because we got these stretch goals and we had to then develop the trays uh, that's pushed yep. us back into that's pushed us back into November and oh we're need we're waiting for some more art because we hit another three stretch goals and mm-hmm. that's pushed us into January and oh and the factory's gone for February so that's it and I see yep. it again and again and again absolutely but um, it depends because I think I've been talking about this recently about it depends on the Kickstarter backers who are involved in it because you get guys that are like if it's an IP then I tell you um um you know God God help you <laughs> because right. these guys I saw like the um the latest one the Horizon Zero Dawn video game which I love yeah. with a passion but then I, I seen it game. like I the, seen uh, yeah and I seen it like um 2020 was the delivery window and I was like um people were going 2020 that's like two years it's like yes yeah. because you've seen they did dark souls and we see and we see what happened with dark souls so they're not yeah. you know they're not they're not being uh they're not being difficult they're just being incredibly honest with you yeah and being realistic because i mean anytime you work in ip everything you do is subject to their approval oh, yeah like you can't just put a game out like you have to make everything and then send it to them and it gets approved or maybe not and you have to change something you have to fix something they didn't like yeah and then yeah. that kind of starts the process over and it's just round and round and round kind of thing and it just takes forever yeah because it becomes very corporate you know you're not just doing your game you're doing a game that represents their brand as well and yeah. so they want to protect their brand and it just takes a while yeah that reminds me of the story about planes trains and automobiles where it cost an absolute fortune for them to make because none, no no car hire company, nor airplane company, not even any train company refused to allow them to put their logos or use their stock because the whole thing is about all these traveling things going wrong. So that was yeah. a real thing that the budget for that film was so high because basically the, the movie studio had to invent all of these new kind of... Um, kind of airport airplane companies and stuff mm-hmm. like that because yep. no travel company would say no you can't you can't use our logo we're protecting our kind of our our kind of our ip there so uh it almost it barely made any money even though it was very very successful because they basically yep. had to buy up railway in order to film some parts of the thing um but price wise in order to buying up things um have you settled on a price are you still kind of ironing out the final the final the final yeah figures? i mean so we're Right, we're we're about a month away from the mm-hmm. the launch right now, and so things are still subject to change. But it's going to be around forty five dollars for a U.S. copy of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, international still looking. Probably, I mean, it'd probably be forty five dollars, and then for the international forty five dollars, then the shipping will get tacked onto that. So mm-hmm. um, we'll see what that looks like. For for the U.K., it's looking like twelve ish, fifteen ish dollars or so, That's depending on. I'm still waiting to get some more uh, fulfillment quotes back, yeah. just to kind of make sure I get the best price working with the best company. Um, working with probably working with Quartermaster Logistics, so I want to give them a shout out. They they do a lot to sponsor my my podcast. So I want to rep right. them as much as I can. Uh, QMLogistics.com. They're they're awesome. Uh, I've had nothing but a phenomenal phenomenal experience working with them, getting all these numbers in and quotes. And they're super quick mm-hmm. about responding to things, and highly recommend uh, mm-hmm. their service. But yeah, it's probably gonna be around the forty five dollar range. Which, um, funnily enough, from Kickstarter is really inexpensive nowadays because I'm looking yeah, at overall. games that are going out there. Yeah, so many hundred dollar campaigns, you know, like, this is crazy. <laughs> man gotta eat, and it looks like man gonna eat cardboard. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> just because I was looking at was it, I, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to shame them, but it's been, fu- well, okay, we just talked about Horizon Zero Dawn, but I mean mm-hmm. I hummed and had, and I just I just went I, I can't Gabe, I couldn't 
press the button on it. I wanted to yeah. because it looks fantastic. But then I'm thinking, no, it looks great. It looks fantastic. It's just, and then, but then I was like, mm, I've not seen the kind of the rules, and I'm not sure are they going to kind of be developing it, and you know, and the miniatures look fantastic, and it's another one of these things I'd have it, and it's like, but it is so much right. money, especially with the way that the um, like four or five years ago. When you know a hundred dollars was equal to like say maybe sixty three sixty four pounds, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But now a hundred dollars is equal to eighty five pounds. So there's a massive kind of jump up. So when I look at these campaigns, I'm just like, eh, but I've noticed that we seem to be creeping into one hundred and twenty five dollars for a Kickstarter campaign, which yes, yeah, becoming more normal. I mean, especially with all the Simon games that have yeah. seventy five miniatures and like all these crazy art. And, I mean, they look phenomenal. Mm. But yeah, they're hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, and you're also you're taking a risk because you, you don't really know is the game is the game good. Like you're not entirely sure, and so every time you back a Kickstarter, uh, you're you're hoping that yeah. it's going to be good. You're hoping that the you know if you read through the rules, you're hoping that the rules uh, turn into a good game, and that the the preview videos and the playthrough videos they all turn out to be the game that you want. Mm-hmm. But you're still taking a risk, and and so if you're risking thirty nine or forty five dollars something like that, it's a little bit easier to swallow than risking a hundred or hundred fifty. And so, well, I mean, to me, if you're saying forty five, I'm instantly going. So that's about thirty seven quid. If I can yeah. work out with thirty eight quid, that's not bad. You know, I can't right. even get a new, I can't even get a new video game for that nowadays. So that's kind of like <laughs> true. If it's something that's interesting me, then I'm probably going to be interested, and I'm probably going to you know think, oh, well, actually, what I'm going to take a punt. As I say, either that or I multiply it by three and get a latest big huge miniatures game. Which, as you say, mm-hmm. it's easier for me to dissect the kind of the game. I mean, in terms of um, say like previews and stuff. Um, is it? What are your thoughts on previews? I mean, are they a good thing or are they something that? Because people say, "Oh, you need to have previews there. You need to have people doing kind of, you know, preview videos, or you need to have people that are writing up kind of previews of your game in order to get kind of people kind of interested." Do you think they're any use? I mean, I've got yeah, my own say, two cents on this, but you know, do you think? No, and I'd love to hear your your opinion in just a second. Uh, I would say. You need at least one, but I wouldn't do more than two. Like I've seen some campaigns that have like ten. It's yeah. Like what are you what are you doing? Like why? Like does, does that many people like with different voices? I guess different angles. I guess, uh, but they're all just previewing your game because a preview is very different from a review, yeah. right? So a preview, you're you're typically paying someone to put your game out there on camera and say nice things about it, and talk about how it plays and that kind of thing. And that's that's great. I think that's important to have uh, as a marketing tool, just so people can see that. And you can also get into their. Uh, the, whoever you're having to preview, whether it's Tantrum House or Man vs. Meeple or whoever, they've got a pretty big base of, of subscribers. And so not only are you you know, able to put that content on your Kickstarter page, but you're also uh, able to get that in front of a lot of people yeah. to hopefully hear about your campaign that maybe otherwise wouldn't. So there's a couple things going on. But the people that have like five or six or ten different previews, it's like I, I feel like you just wasted a lot of money that didn't need to be wasted. Uh, and so like, well, I would rather you put that money into the game or put that money into subsidizing the shipping or something, you know, making the game a little bit cheaper, something like that, as opposed to having uh, all these previews. So I do think they're valuable, but uh, maybe not as, as valuable as, as some people think they are. Uh, I think it's validation. You know, mm. again, this is something that comes up with me being, you know, my job is I'm kind of like, I'm involved in kind of sales and marketing and all lots of wonderful, boring stuff, which I'm not going to go into just now. But um People are looking for validation when they're, you know, when they're when they're going to be considering a game. Um, yeah, I don't really watch. I'll look at a kick. I'll look at a Kickstarter gameplay video because I want to see how it plays. I'll be mm-hmm. less likely to look at a preview video 
with somebody giving a kind of a, a kind of opinion. We write, and I do write myself. I write um, little preview pieces for Kickstarter games, but I call them first thoughts. I don't even mm-hmm. put the word preview on the front because it's just me. I've maybe played the game three, four times, five times. You know, I've not put. I'm just saying. Well, this is what I think. Kind of an idea. You know, it's not a kind of like this isn't a preview kind of thing. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I don't know if. Would you ever put a slightly negative preview on your Kickstarter campaign? <laughs> is it not just what well, I mean? Five or if 10 it's a preview, then then yeah. the opinion shouldn't even be. Uh, really in there. I mean, I mm. guess if somebody wants to go above and beyond, go, so, hey, you know, I know this is a pay preview, but I really did enjoy this game. If they want to kind of preface it and say, mm. you know, hey, this is also my actual opinion, but they're more likely not going to be negative, right? But if it's a review uh, and it's not pretty positive, I wouldn't put it out there. I, I wouldn't. I mean, yeah, that just exactly. gives people a reason not to back, yeah. right? And you're and you're basing that off one person, right? It's what's unfortunate kind of about uh, certain reviewers. You know, if they don't like it, well, that's a whole giant audience of people that go, oh, okay, I don't like it either. It's yeah. like, well, well, maybe. You know, you're assuming that, that that reviewer likes the same kind of games as you do. And maybe they do. Maybe you've kind of vetted that person and go, okay, this, this game, uh, or this person likes these kind of games, so do I, and so we kind of have the same taste in games, so I really trust their opinion. But not always, right? And so, yeah, if something's not pretty positive, I wouldn't put it out there. But uh, also, if it's not pretty positive, you might want to step back and go, hmm, why am I... Uh, why am I making this game? Like, do I need to change some things? Do I need to alter some things? Do a little more playtesting, something like that. No, absolutely. I think, um, yeah. I mean, if you're, I think if you're cherry picking, of course, you always want to cherry pick people kind of being positive about what you're creating. But oh, then, yeah. as you said, you know, if you're getting a couple of people that are still bringing it up and saying, "Well, that was fine," but you know, this part of this rule book, you know, this part, this rule wasn't entirely clear, or um, mm-hmm. I didn't like the I didn't like the way this kind of mechanic worked because it kind of affected the game kind of further down the line and it's a case of well maybe you should be kind of looking but it's difficult because I always say the same phrase about being too close to the coalface which is you're so close in on the project it's really really difficult to take a step back and say well is this actually kind of kind of something that's kind of worked um, but the biggest thing around it is obviously the audience building so has that been has that been easy for you doing the audience building based on the fact that you're you know obviously you're quite you're gonna you're obviously gonna have people you can reach out to and be aware of and you've got your own little what you've got your own audience already have you found that easier than you'd say kind of your normal kind of kickstarter creators yeah definitely so like a lot of people if you're gonna go to kickstarter for the first time Mm -hmm. you probably need to start audience building at least six months ahead Mm -hmm. If not a year, right? Go ahead and start really building an audience, building an email list, building a, a first day backer group. You know, you really want to do well on your first day to kind of get that momentum and, and do well in the Kickstarter algorithms. So you show up in different places on the, on the page or the, the website. Uh, but with me, it's a little bit different. And so like, I didn't really start marketing this game all that much until mm, three months ago, yeah. two and a half, three months ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've already got a, a pretty decent size base of people. Now, what's going to be interesting, this is something I'm really uh, curious to learn, is how many people that are subscribers to my email list and are listeners to my show and are members of the Facebook group, because you're talking, there's 2,000 members, a little more, like close to 2,100 at this point, yeah. members in my Facebook group. How many of those people are going to show up to back my game, right? Is it is it 1%? Is it 5%? 10%? 20 You know, like, we're, I'm, it's, it's, it's going to be a really interesting uh, exercise and something I'm really curious to learn is how many of these, how many of these awesome people in this community 
want to back a game that I've made, right? Because the community is not about the game. It's about game design in general and the podcast and all this content. And so it's going to be cool to see, you know, if people show up or it's going to be really uh, sad and tragic that none of them do, right? No, they're like, oh, we like your podcast. We don't care about your games. Okay, cool. Uh, it's good to know. Uh, you know, it's good to fail, I guess, to learn. It's a good learning process. But uh, yeah, we'll see. It doesn't make it any easier, though, does it? <laughs> it's not going to be like that. Definitely you not. Know, I mean, you're just going to be like that. And first an announcement to all the people that helped me absolutely fail um, in my first Kickstarter campaign. Uh, yes, I am very drunk, but you're all a bunch of... Co- so <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry we've lost Gabe there I don't know what happened he yeah, fell over um, <laughs> uh, launch date sir when, it, yeah. when, is, when are we going to be blasting off into the solar system and flicking, yeah. flicking disc and taking names and going into hyperspace and generally having yeah. fun captain no doubt. Final Flick Tier coming to you on October 29th. On a Monday, not doing Tuesday. I feel like there's everybody and their mother wants to launch on Tuesday. I'm going to do Monday. Try to be a little bit against the grain. And that's, uh, and that's another test. We'll see if that works out too. But um, yeah, October 29th. And you're thinking around about the $45 mark? Yep, or give or take. That's it. Um, excellent. Um, if people have listened to law today and they want to keep an eye on what you're up to, where do they find you on the interweb nets, Mr. Yeah, Barrett? Definitely. So. Every, everything I do is uh, boardgamedesignlab.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes or uh, whatever the, the Android version is. Was it Stitcher? Uh, yeah, I'm on all the, the different uh, podcast venues and whatnot, Board Game Design Lab. I've got right at 100 episodes. By the time this launches, I'll be over 100 episodes. And so, yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, Facebook group as well, Board Game Design Lab community. It's an awesome place full of amazing people yeah. trying to make great games, trying to get better, trying to get feedback on what they're working on. And so if you're into game design at all and you, you want a place online to come find some really cool people and, and bounce ideas around, that's a great place uh, as well. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we take all of those links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show one more question squire sir okay yep you are disappearing on your five-year mission to explore strange new worlds yeah uh-huh. I'm, I'm gonna go with this you're just gonna have to gonna buckle up but yeah, it's gonna be great but on your journey, right, okay, the guy, the commissar takes you aside and says, tell you what, he says, you never guess what, I can get hold of any board games that you want just because you're going off on your five-year journey, you've got to play well, you've got an entire ship of people while you're exploring and exterminating and all that stuff. Um, but unfortunately, due to regulations and due to the size of your quarters, you're only allowed to take three with you. Um, but you can have anything you want, any expansions, first edition, second edition, anything you want. What would you take with you on your five-year journey into space, Mr. Gabe Barrett, sir? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first thing, if I could take d and I don't know if that fits inside the rules. Yes, but does. D&D yeah. is so, I mean, it's it's infinite, right? You you need one one book and some character sheets and you can play for decades. Uh, and so D&D would definitely be on the list. Time stories, assuming I could get all the... Uh, current and future if we could like magically 3d print all the uh oh, latest no, yeah they're all available uh, yeah you get them all. yeah yep. there you go yeah love time stories that's a lot of fun and then trying to think of the third one let me look at my shelf <laughs> hmm michael eldritch horror 
just because it's a ton of content, ton of expansions, ton of things to do there uh, as well. Lots of story, lots of fun, lots of dice chucking and, and running around saving the world. So I think those would be my three. Excellent. Well, there he goes. He just, you know, he goes goes to the replicator because, <laughs> you know, it's nothing to do. <laughs> what would you call it? Something else. The reproducer or whatever it's there called. You gives you <laughs> Gives you your little games. You put them in your little trolley. You get into the Starship um, Centaur, Center Prize. And, and then you take off. Um, there you go. Um, thank you very much for coming on, sir. This has been um, oh. this has been yeah. fun and a delight, and all those all those other words that bring begin with E. Um, <laughs> if you if you want to keep an eye if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, go to the social media all over the place. You know, we're practically a brand now. But you can find us on Twitter at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on our blog, which is We're Not Wizards.blogspot.com, where people write words for us and they write very nice words for us. Um, you can find us on our website in general, which is We're Not Wizards.com. You can find us on Instagram, where we put pictures. You can find us on Tumblr because our and YouTube because our fabulous um, podcast host Podbean um, put our podcasts on tumblr which i have no idea what that's for and no idea um but they do put it on youtube which is really handy because i understand a lot of people like to listen to their podcasts through youtube and they put it through kind of like google podcasts as well and all these other podcast catchers which i hope if you search for we're not wizards you will find us on there if you like what you've listened tonight obviously jump on to the board game design lab and make sure you get yourself covered in lots and lots of gabe because it sounds like a good thing to do. But if you've also liked the show tonight and you want to f- listen to more of us, and there's about 200 of these things, it's ridiculous, um, go to, um, obviously, Apple Podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Um, if you like us even more than that, then give us a rating or a review. And if you like us like really, really, really lots and give us a rating or a review, remember the following rules, right? Don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average and we're just a little bit average. But the uh, person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Gabe Barrett. Yeah! I'm doing like Kermit the Frog waving his arms in the air. Um, <laughs> there's only two more things to do. The uh, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Gabe? Uh, no, not as of yet. That that'll do, I suppose. I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Gabe. Say goodbye, Gabe. Y'all have a good one. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Excellent. It's been a delight. And good luck with everything you got going on right now. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And it's a goodbye from me. So remember, stay safe. Rule6s.com. And 29th of October, yeah, if you get those fingers ready, you want to be doing like a training montage with Rocky. You want to be lifting weights with his index fingers. Because <laughs> come the 29th of October, yeah, you're going to be pointing them to the tabletop, resting them on some ne- neoprene, you're going to be flicking these bad boys as you take over space and you take over time and you take over entire galaxies. Um, and it's all going to be around about the final flick tier. Um, but until the next time, 
Um, I don't know. Just live long and prosper. I guess. There you go. There you go. Bye. <laughs> Wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to.